In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents Donald Trump with a, a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter, too. That's what I'm so help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sup Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we're here with journalist Ari Berman. He is a senior reporter at Mother Jones covering voting rights. He's also an author of two books on the subject, in addition to a cover story this week outlining the various disturbing threats to the franchise across the country. We're so thrilled to be with you today. We really need your expertise this week. Hey, thank you. I'm not sure how much we're going to be laughing this uh, (laughs) this episode, but I, I appreciate the thought. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. So just to sort of start really big picture, you've covered efforts to suppress the vote for a long, a long time now. Um, Anyone who's ever been concerned about this and has gone down a rabbit hole, has encountered your work, has encountered your your tweets for sure. So I'm curious on a scale of I'm chilling, I'm cool, it's going to be fine to the most petrified you've ever been about voter suppression. Where on that scale would you say you are currently? Yeah, I would say I'm on the very close to the most petrified I've ever been scale. Uh, I was walking on a rail trail behind my house a few days ago and I saw a bear and I don't think I was quite, I don't think I'm quite as petrified as democracy as I was when I saw that bear, but it was pretty close in terms of turning around, walk really close, walk really fast, think about not getting mauled. And I feel like that's kind of how I think about what's happening to our democracy right now. Uh, I've been covering this issue for a decade, and this is by far the worst it's ever been, uh, partly just because of the volume of voter suppression bills, the number of states that have passed them. I mean, objectively speaking, more states have passed voter suppression laws now uh, than at any time in recent history, but also just the intensity of the effort and the fact that the big lie has become so weaponized inside the Republican Party. I mean, when I started covering this issue in 2011, that's when we saw you know the first voter ID laws and stuff like that. And that was bad, but it still felt kind of fringy within the Republican Party. And now, like, your ability to try to steal an election is now a litmus test of whether you're a Republican in the same way that you have to be like pro guns or anti-abortion, stuff like that. And so that to me is what's different about it now and what I find so disturbing. So one thing that our audience asks us a lot is like, why are they doing this? What is their primary motivation? And like, why is it, why are they suddenly so powerful or just, you know, able to come at, people with volume of these bills. Well, I think they've been in these positions of power. They've just shied away from using their power in this respect. I mean, Republicans have always had as their overriding principle, the preservation of their own power. That's not a new thing. I mean, one reason why Republicans are still in control at the state level in Michigan and Wisconsin and 
Georgia and those states is because they gerrymandered so effectively in 2011 and they were able to stay in power for a decade. So they haven't been shy at exercising their own power through anti-democratic means, but they're just going much further than they did before. They're being more brazen about it. They're doing things like making it easier for them to overturn elections that they wouldn't have done, I don't think, a decade ago. A decade ago, they were still trying to figure out how to shave off turnout among Democrats. But I think that basically they're doing it because they're worried about protecting their own power. And they think that this has to be the overriding objective of the party. And, and, I, and I believe they're doing it because they've given up on trying to reach a majority of Americans. They've given up on trying to promote popular policies. So instead of trying to reach out to more people, and support popular policies, they're just saying, well, let's support unpopular policies and get fewer people who might disagree with us to vote in the first place. I think that's the, the route they've taken. Yeah. So as you said, the sheer volume is is pretty surprising. I know the Brennan Center does a great job of just periodically like listing just numbers that, I mean, even as somebody who keeps up with this and you too, I mean, they, they blend together and suddenly you get into the dozens and the hundreds and it can feel pretty hard to track, but I think those out of Texas, Georgia, and Florida in particular have raised alarm. Are those laws similar? I'm curious if legislatures are using the same language and if they're doing so for a reason. Um, why have these three laws sort of come into the mainstream political conversation? They are similar. I mean, I think okay. Georgia really was the template. And when we reported this story a few weeks ago where this big dark money group Heritage Action for America, which is the sister organization of the Heritage Foundation, they basically bragged to donors behind closed doors that they were right. writing model legislation for the states and that they were passing them in state after state after state. So it wasn't a coincidence that all of the laws were pretty similar because the same kind of people were pushing them. And basically there was this concentrated voter suppression strategy in Washington among people that have been trying to make it harder to vote for decades that they exported to the states. And that's why I think all the states are following a similar playbook with some exceptions, but there's a lot of similarities. It's making it harder to vote by mail. I mean, that's an overriding thing, obviously, you know, making it harder to get mail ballots, making it harder to return them by doing things like getting rid of mail ballot drop boxes, and then, you know, making it harder to have your ballot count. And then they're going beyond that by, you know, closing the number of polling locations or cutting early voting or giving partisan poll watchers more authority over the vote counting process. I mean, those are things that we saw in a number of states. And then basically giving the Republican Party some sort of fail safe that if they don't win the election, they can still try to overturn it, which was in some version of the Georgia bill, which is in some version of the Texas bill. It, it, there's some theories that it's even in some version of the Florida bill in terms of the governor has more opportunity to appoint elected officials, local elected officials. So I think they're all singing from the same songbook. And to go back to this heritage uh, video we got, if you look at the kind of best practices that heritage recommended, which is really, really extreme, basically that's essentially the working document that a lot of these state legislators are going off of. Can you elaborate a little bit on the provisions that allow them to overturn elections? Like, how does that, how is that okay that that, that, that is in there? Well, I think, I think that's really the most disturbing part of the bills. I and mean, if you were to ask me what's the worst part of the bill, it's that part, because it's so, it's so <laughs> see, even the dog agrees. Yeah. Uh, it's so, it's so, uh, it's so blatantly, uh, anti-democratic. I mean, it's basically saying if you don't succeed in 
suppressing the vote, you can just throw out votes altogether. And that's just a complete denial of the will of the people. It works a little bit differently in all the states that have done it. In Georgia, for example, they have removed the Secretary of State as a voting member and as chair of the State Board of Election. Now the legislature, which is heavily gerrymandered, gets to appoint a majority of the State Board of Election. So the legislature has greater control of the State Election Board, which sets voting rules. Then the legislature also has the power to take up up to four county board of elections, meaning that the legislature could, for example, take over the board of election in Fulton County, where Atlanta is, which they've already talked about doing. So that's how they would do it. They would take over the local elections. They would decline to certify on the, on the local level. Then when it goes further up the food chain, they would sustain those kinds of attempts to decline certification. Now, I'm not saying it'll go like that, but they have the power under the law to do it. In Texas, what they did was they basically made it easier for candidates to petition judges to throw out election results. Then in the past, you had to show that there was enough evidence of fraud in terms of how people voted that would actually have changed the election result. So there were, you had to basically show very concrete proof of not just illegal voting, but illegal voting for one candidate to be able to overturn an election, which judges are very reluctant to do. Now they're basically saying if the number of alleged illegal votes is greater than a margin of victory, which is what Trump claimed, by the way, that there was all those illegal 11, votes. 11,780 yeah, votes. Yeah, exactly. Some of it was just, 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 just enough Precisely. illegal votes to be, just, yeah. just enough to be, uh, to, to overturn the victory. Um, so basically that's how it would work in Texas, that the, the, the evidence you had to show to overturn election is less than it was before. And also the standard of proof in terms of what you have to show is also lowered. I don't want to get too tactical here, but basically mm-hmm. it's it's essentially doing what Trump wanted. I mean, the way to think about okay. this is all of the things that Trump wanted to do that were either illegal or certainly violated democratic norms, they're trying to make that now legal. And they're basically trying to institutionalize all the aspects of overturning an election that were either just flat out illegal in 2020 or certainly immoral and certainly broke democratic norms and in a way that even a lot of Republican officials were uncomfortable with at the time. Yeah, you've basically answered my next question, which was what ensured that the 2020 presidential result was not overturned? And if you're confident those barriers will be in place in 2024. And additionally, you said that judges are reluctant to to overturn elections, thankfully. And I, I think we did fortunately see that this round, but we also know that a lot of these judges are, are Trump appointed judges. So I'm curious if you're concerned about their role too. So on the first part of it, I think what held is at the end of the day, Republican officials in all of these key swing states, they abided by democratic norms. The secretaries of state in these places- Literally remember, norms of a democracy. Yeah, literally norms of a democracy. Yeah. I mean, they did what had been done in all previous elections, which is they signed off on the election results. I mean, they they oversaw those results. So it would have been kind of strange if <laughs> all of the fraud would have happened on their watch. There was some self-interest there. But I mean, you know, in, in Georgia and Arizona, I mean, it was Republicans by and large. In Georgia, it was all Republicans. In Arizona, everyone but the Secretary of State was a Republican. And, and, and they signed off on these things. And you saw People were under a lot of pressure. The the Michigan canvassing board became a a hot topic for one day and suddenly everyone knew the names of the Michigan board of canvassers. But at the end of the day, they did the right thing. And I think that is exactly what Republicans are trying to prevent. 
this time. They're either trying to get different people in there. So they're trying to oust, for example, the Georgia Secretary of State, who is very conservative, but he's getting a primary challenge for basically a stop the steal advocate. Uh, That kind of thing is happening in a bunch of places. Or they're just putting a lot of pressure on Republican officials not to certify next time. And certainly, you know, Trump's anger at Brian Kemp and Georgia and and other people like that that are extremely conservative uh, and I think pretty anti-democratic in their own right. But they had they have a modicum of decency. They had some allegiance to democratic norms. And I think to me, I think the, the two biggest differences going into 2022 and 2024 will be, number one, the voting laws will have become more restrictive, but also the the willingness of Republican officials to potentially violate democratic norms is going to be much higher. And what I worry here is that a lot of this is based on informal democratic mechanisms, as opposed to like, do we know for a fact that a state legislature can't appoint its own electors? Do we know for a fact that local canvassing boards can refuse to sign off on the certification? I mean, we thought we knew these things in 2020, but the fact is we don't know. And we don't know how the courts in 2024 might interpret these things. And then to the second part of your question about the role of the courts, I think the courts are uncomfortable with illegal disenfranchisement of voters, but I think they're quite fine with legal right. disenfranchisement of right. voters. Totally. Meaning that I don't <laughs> think they're going to have any problems with Republicans cutting early voting or adding new voter ID requirements, uh, things like that, that they feel like went through some sort of regular order in terms of the legislative process. Now, I might be wrong. There might be some laws that are too extreme. There might be other places like Texas where it clearly didn't go through regular order, where it could raise eyebrows. Um, But I think by and large, they're going to be more okay with that than suing after the election to Mm -hmm. overturn tens of thousands of votes when everyone knew what the rules were heading into the election. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. 
And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Can we sort of pivot to potential solutions? So right now there's the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the For the People Act, which is HR1. What's the difference between these two things and... Do you think there's anything missing from them? Do you think there's any likelihood that they will be passed? Well, the two bills work really well together. They, they do different kind of things. So the For the People Act basically has uniform standards for federal elections so that the right to vote is not dramatically different if you live in Texas versus you live in Oregon. So there would be things that apply equally to all 50 states for federal races, like, for example, for Congress or the president. So every state would have things like automatic registration and election day registration and two weeks of early voting and access to mail voting. I mean, so basically just to say there's a guarantee of what voting rights should look like. And this is what we think. We think that it should be easy to vote and it should apply equally to all 50 states. So that's the For the People Act. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act basically says those states with the worst history of discrimination, not just in the 1960s, but more recently, they have to once again approve their voting changes with the federal government. So the way I think about it is one is like the carrot and one is like the stick. The For the People Act is the carrot. It's all the good things that make it easier to vote. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act is the stick. It's the thing that says, no, you can't implement that voter suppression law. The federal government has the power to block it. And that's why they work really well together, mm-hmm. because if you have one without the other, you're either going to the carrot without the stick or the stick without the carrot. So, I mean, like, that, that's why I think they were, they were put together. Um, Got it. The only thing that I think is missing from them is this question about what to do about overturning elections. And I think that... Congress doesn't have all of the power. They can't necessarily tell a governor or a state legislature how to certify their results. But if a dispute were to go to Congress, I think they could shore up what Congress can and can't do because people are very worried about a situation where Republicans take over one or both houses of Congress mm-hmm. and refuse to certify the election results. And the president, even if he's reelected, can't do anything about it. So, I mean, I think that shoring up that language to me would be something that Congress should be doing, and they don't, mm-hmm. they don't seem to be uh, as intent on doing that right now. I'm not really sure why. Um, it may just be that their existing pieces of legislation are having a difficult enough time passing yeah. that there's only so many voting rights bills you can work on at one point in time. I and, mean, you know, really what it's going to take is, I mean, they're a little bit different. For the For the People Act, it's going to take get, getting 50 votes, because right now Joe Manchin's not supporting it. Yeah. Um, and for the, for, the, for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, it actually has bipartisan support. So it meets Manchin's criteria, but it doesn't have 60 votes. And so either way to pass one or both of these bills, you're going to have to get rid of the filibuster. Or Joe and, Manchin. You know, Manchin keeps saying, you know, I think people are going to come together and, you know, support the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Lisa Murkowski, to her credit, has been sponsoring it for a few years now, and she hasn't been able to get a single Republican wow. to sponsor it. And the idea that, a Republican party that is so invested in voter suppression 
is going to support efforts to stop voter suppression, to me, is just incredibly naive and ridiculous that you'd even think that. I mean, yeah, in an ideal world, would 10 Republicans support the Voting Rights Act? Like, absolutely. When the Voting Rights Act was reauthorized in 2006, the vote was 98 to zero in the Senate. So certainly more than 10 Republicans supported it at the time. Will 10 Republicans support it today? Like, you didn't even have seven, 10 Republicans yeah. support a January 6th commission when they were chanting, hang Mike Pence. And so I think at some point Democrats are going to realize that they either need to do this with the power they have or it's not going to happen at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I think, important to note, this also has broad support among the American public. Therefore, if not explicitly, HR1 are generally in favor of keeping voting available and accessible to everybody. Those dogs are like cinema and mansion right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have ever guessed when Kristen Kirsten Cinema got elected that she would become like half of mansion and cinema? Like I never yeah, would I actually, have. <laughs> I compl- based on her track record in the house, I absolutely expected it. But oh, really? I, I thought that when she got in a slightly more of a position of authority with a state that was becoming bluer, that she might modify some of her views. And in fact, she's just um, doubled down on them. I mean, she doesn't even explain her positions. No. I mean, Joe Manchin, to his credit, at least his, his, his opinions make no sense, but he at least gives them. I like how you said that it meets his criteria simply by being bipartisan at all. Like you trim one thing off and then it's like, fine, bipartisan, I'll do it. It has nothing to do with like the it's substance. like a robot. Well, the amazing thing about the yeah. filibuster is it actually impedes bipartisanship. That... The, the January 6th commission had 54 votes. So it was bipartisan mm-hmm. and wow, it was yeah. blocked. And, and then it was blocked by 35 senators from one party. So you actually had one party using the filibuster to block bipartisanship. And that's what's going to happen more often than not. Usually the Democrats can find one Republican. They can't always, yeah. but often they can. But they can never find 10. And that's the problem. And so I think we need to re- redefine how we think about the filibuster. And the filibuster is something... Mm-hmm that blocks bipartisanship as opposed to facilitates it. Uh, and, and so it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be really yeah. difficult, but I was looking back at the history of the 15th amendment and no Democrats voted for the 15th amendment in Congress. So, I mean, if it, if it had been, if it had been, uh, if that had been a litmus test for, for the 15th amendment, we would have no 15th amendment mm-hmm. because Democrats were the segregationist party at the time uh, and wouldn't support it, just like Republicans are the insurrection party right now and won't support voting rights today. Right. And, and that's a perfect pivot. To, as we're talking about solutions, like I think we're talking about like what exactly it is we're protecting, which is democracy. This week, 100 scholars of democracy wrote a letter sounding the alarm. They urged members. I mean, this is alarmist language that you've been using, that people have been using, urging members of Congress to do whatever is necessary, including suspending the filibuster in order to pass the National Voting and Election Administration Standards. And you wrote a story this week, I think published this morning, uh, titled Jim Crow Killed Voting Rights for Generations. Now the GOP is repeating history. And this comes as Texas is using language like purity of elections and integrity of the ballot. Do you, it's, I mean, we've been talking about this already, but that does sound like that's what's at stake. Do you think the president is starting to notice that too? And do you think he will start to put more pressure on Democrats to consider reforming the filibuster to, to fix this? I think so. I mean, I think that you know, Democrats are, are looking at what's happening in Georgia and Florida and Texas, and they're getting increasingly concerned. Now, I think they should have been concerned a lot earlier um, about this and, and tried to do more when these bills were moving through legislative sessions, uh, as opposed to when most of them have already 
um, past. Uh, but I mean, I do think that we're facing an existential crisis for democracy. And, and it's really hard to say that you're a functioning democracy uh, when one party is making it harder to vote, one party is making it easier to overturn elections, one party is blocking any kind of federal response to try to respond to the suppression that's occurring yeah. uh, at the state level. The Senate is so warped that the parties have an equal amount of members, but Democrats represent 41 million more Americans than Republicans. And, and you talk about the filibuster. I mean, with the filibuster, you basically have a situation where 41 senators, even less on this, uh, on this January 6th vote, can block things that are supported by just a huge majority of Americans. And it's just, it, when, you, when you have fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer expressions where the will of the people is actually being translated to power, then that calls into question whether or not we will remain a democracy. And like, there's different levels of it, right? Like we might, we're not gonna turn into South Africa in the 1940s, but could we turn into Hungary of today or like Poland of today, or where we have these like, authoritarian leaders that basically just mark and lockstep and, and, and the entire party is just devoted to like a crazy cult of personality. That's kind of where the Republican Party is right now already. And so, I mean, it's it's really not hard for, to see them taking the next step and just saying, we're going to do everything we can to freeze the other side out of power and never recognize their legitimacy. And I think you know that was the world that Donald Trump wanted to live in already. Uh, and he, he got some pushback on it. Uh, in 2020, but I mean, more and more Republicans are coming around to his worldview as opposed to the other way around, given you know, the purging of Liz Cheney and the primary challengers to all of the Republicans certified the election and things like that. Do you have any insight into why the Democrat, like we're so alarmed by it, but do you have any insight into why the Democratic leadership's response has been so lethargic? Like, I just can't see the Republicans ever facing this issue because they would fight to make it never be at this point. Well, I do think that there's always been some level of asymmetric warfare between the parties where Democrats are just always hoping that people's better angels will emerge. I think yeah. it's because that's part of what makes them a Democrat, whereas Republicans yeah, just true. have this ruthless world <laughs> where like, we're going to get what we want and we don't care what the collateral damage is. Uh, along the way, and basically they've run out anyone from their party that 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 has any kind of objections. I mean, basically, I mean, look, just look at the differences between how Liz Cheney and Joe Manchin are treated. I mean, Liz Cheney is an extremely conservative Republican that votes with the party almost all of the time and has been basically thrown out of leadership and I think will eventually be thrown out of the party uh, because she didn't go along with the big lie and she wouldn't go along with overturning the election. I mean, Joe Manchin is somebody that is much more out of step with the Democratic Party than Liz Cheney is with the Republican Party. And basically, you know, he continues to be treated with kid gloves. And even yesterday, when the president says, uh, you know, I have two people that vote more with Republicans than Democrats, I mean, then they have to kind of walk that sort of thing back. I mean, and it, and it is hard to know, you know, what motivates someone in West Virginia, because I think they care about things that are different than um, what we might care about. What I would say, what I would say to, to Joe Manchin is that number one, democracy is on the line. And number two, the political yeah. survival of the Democratic Party yeah. is on the line. And you profess to care about both of those things. So you should be worried about what's happening here. And do you re- want to be remembered as the person that 
failed to prevent this from happening. And that's the thing that I was really, when I started researching the history of the end of Reconstruction, I mean, there were moments, there was a moment in, eight, in 1890, 1891, when Mississippi passed this constitution that just outright disenfranchised black voters. The House passed a bill called the Lodge Bill that would have stopped it. And it was filibustered in the Senate and it died. And there were senators at the time that made a conscious decision to not support it. And basically, it was because of them that Jim Crow occurred. And they had the power to stop and they didn't. And I think there's a lot of parallels today. And it's not like we're going to go back to just outright disenfranchisement. We're not going to go from 80% of Blacks voting to 2% of Blacks voting. But we could certainly go to a situation where turnout is down. Elections are largely determined ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And the party of white grievance basically runs everything, even though they're totally out of step with the general public. I mean, that could absolutely happen. It's already happened in a lot of states at the state level. And so that that could absolutely happen uh, if Congress doesn't step in and do something. It's so interesting. You totally um, hit on sort of uh, something that a theory that I've sort of always just like kind of held on to, which is that like personality really plays a role in your political party. Like you can't, teach like it's at the end of the day like you can be brought up in a certain way or you could be exposed to certain things but you can't teach someone to have those sort of like democrat democratic like ideals of like equality and caring about like the most vulnerable people in society and like I think what happened is that like anyone who has any little bit of like democratic personality in them has been like excised from the Republican party. I definitely hope that Joe Manchin checks his email like Anthony Fauci checks his email and is hopefully seeing people raging about how he needs to end the filibuster. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's fascinating to me because I never heard any Republicans in Georgia or Texas or Florida say that they needed Democrats to support their voter suppression bills or they wouldn't pass them. I mean, that that never even occurred to them. But then Joe Manchin is saying, well, voting legislation has to be bipartisan. It's like, no, one party is trying to make it harder to vote. They're not going to support your efforts. Yeah. Yeah. To to try to make it easier to vote. I mean, maybe maybe one or two will. Maybe Lisa Murkowski, who got elected with a lot of support from Native communities in Alaska. She's not beholden to the same Trumpist base. But like, in general, they're not going to support it. And like, and I really don't think that at the end of the day, anyone cares about the filibuster. Like, right. I don't think no. it's an issue that a single person votes on. No one no. even knows what it's it also, is. It's so early. I don't know. Like, I think that basically people want, people want results. And if someone gets, you know, an extra check in the mail or their salary is raised or their air is cleaner or it's harder uh, to yeah. kill them with guns or their democracy <laughs> works better, they're not going to care about the process that led to that. And so that to me is, is, you know, what is so ridiculous here. And the filibuster is allowing these crazy processes at the state level to occur. And my question to Joe Manchin is, are you comfortable in, with a situation where Texas Republicans vote start debate on a voter suppression bill at 1230 in the morning right. on Memorial Day weekend and pass it at 6 a.m. when everyone's been sleeping and then try to pass the bill uh, before midnight the next day uh, heading into the Monday before Memorial Day. Yeah. Is that a process you're okay with? You think right. that process is better than the process <laughs> that is working its way through the U.S. Senate when they're voting on a bill to overturn elections that nobody's even read ahead of time? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's that's just what I don't understand here. Like, so at some point, like the at some point, there's going to be a reckoning here. 
Yeah. And the reckoning is either going to be Democrats use the power they have to protect democracy or Democrats don't have that power anymore. And, mm-hmm. demo- and right. democracy wasn't protected. And like, I'm really afraid we're heading in one direction, but like right mm-hmm. now it's like up for grabs in terms of which way it could go. Yeah. Oh, totally. Before we let you go, one question I have to know is, did you encounter the bear before or after you saw that viral video of the bear on the fence? Uh, I didn't see the viral video. You didn't? So it oh must my have gosh. Been, Good. You would have been more scared. It was funny because I was walking on this rail trail behind my house and it was, it looked, I was like, maybe it's a really large dog. <laughs> and I was just like a very, very large dog. And I was just being paranoid. And then, yeah. uh, then, one of our neighbors said, Hey, did you see that bear that's been running around? And I was like, Oh yeah. Did I ever see it? And you know, they're saying you're like, you're supposed to like stand up and be, t- you're not supposed to run. Right. right. So I just like walked as quickly <laughs> as I could like without running. Um, but yeah, I live in nature now, so I guess I should be more, yeah. more, uh, get, get used to it. This is what happened when city people moved to the country. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'll stick around here. Thank you so much for your time. Our closeout to our show fits really well here. It's until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. Bye-bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.